whether that's coming out of the right or the left or media or or where or some other celebrity, he is fearless and uh, and is really willing to 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 call out the garbage in our culture. Attention passengers, we ask that you please fasten your seatbelts at this time and secure all baggage underneath your seat or in the overhead compartments. Flyover Country with Scott Jennings is prepared for takeoff. And welcome to Flyover Country with the aforementioned Scott Jennings. I'm your roundtable host, Joe Arnold, along with Kevin Grout, Sean Southerd. Hello, Jared Crawford and Scott Jennings himself. It has been a busy, busy time. We are so pleased that uh, that you're joining us here again. Uh, Sean and Scott, fresh off uh, Dave Chappelle live in Louisville, Kentucky. It was a good show. Oh, it was amazing. I, Sean invited me. I can't thank you enough for that. I had a blast last night. It was night. great. It was great. I mean, one of the greats, truly. What 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 sets Dave Chappelle apart from other voices out there right now? Because he does obviously occupy just a a, a, a very um, transcendent type of popularity among all kinds of groups here. I think the best thing about Chappelle is that he is an equal opportunity offender. He he finds ways of just twisting and and making jokes about everything and I think I think it, it's it's art. Yeah, he he um he he's uncancelable at this point because they've tried and he talks a lot about this in his show. He talks about when he went to Netflix and all the employees were walking out, and you know, at one point he said, "Netflix said, see you later." <laughs> and uh, uh, but but he but because of the experience he's had with people trying to cancel him, basically for his comedy, uh, I think it's I think it has emboldened him to do what Sean just said, and that is literally call BS on every stupid thing in culture, whether that's coming out of the right or the left or media or or where or some other celebrity. He is fearless and uh, and is really willing to 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 call out the garbage in our culture. It seems like he occupies that as like a unique space. Is there can other people do that too, or is there something particular about him? Yeah, you know, we were talking about this last night while he was. I mean, he may save our culture from ourselves. <laughs> I mean, truly. I mean, he 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 absolutely has. He rejects orthodoxy from both the left and the right. But he just in, there's in, nobody else doing it because everyone has at least a little bit of fear. Mm-hmm. Like who am I going to offend? And if you have any of that fear, you can't go all the way. And that's what I think sets Chappelle into a league of his own. As you know, Scott, one of my hobbies is to look at the comments on your Twitter feed just to see what people are saying about you. It's kind of fun. And <laughs> some people were surprised today when you were commenting on that that. That you would even go there, you know, and that because that, that, you're a conservative, they were thinking this is not consistent with what a conservative would would appreciate. Well, I've got news for you. If you sat through Dave Chappelle's show last night, you'd realize a lot of conservatives would be very comfortable in that room. I mean, and and people generally who just can't stand the woke garbage in our culture right now, and the and everybody being offended about everything, and the and the idea that you got all these people roaming around our country desperate to cancel everybody they run into, and that's what Chappelle is standing up against. He had a lot of interesting things to say about Trump. He had a lot of interesting things to say about the left and the media and, and Hollywood. And none of it fit neatly into an ideological box, but it all fit neatly, I think, into one sort of rubric, and that is people shouldn't be able to get away with stupidity. And it just – and common sense has a place in our culture. And the the crowd there, I mean, it was very diverse, people of all different backgrounds, ages. Ages. I uh, mean, just – it was it – Race. Was, yeah. I mean – It was uh, it, really it, interesting. It, it was it, it was a big crowd. It was totally sold out. And I have to tell you, it, it was a, all walks of life. Sean's right. What I really appreciate what you're saying about this, and and as you know, and and I'm obviously not a, a pop culture maven like the rest of you are, and I get a lot of a lot of digs for that, but I appreciate anyone who's willing to 
make break the molds basically have make their own path and that's where i think it is consistent with flyover country with as far as some of the the folks who live here and the fact that we're not going to be beholden to a narrative which is being dictated from a coast or from anywhere else and i wonder uh we'll put him on the couch a little bit but i wonder you know Chappelle lives in ohio right on a farm on a farm i mean he lives out here with the rest of us and i just i just wonder how that molds his thinking versus if he were sitting there in Hollywood or New York City like most of the rest of the celebrities you would go see at a show like this. I do want to come back to cancel culture in a, in a few minutes when we uh, talk a little bit about Elon Musk and the, and the Twitter uh, takeover bid. Kevin's quiz is coming up a little bit later on here. We have some baseball and talking about Clayton Kershaw being pulled from a perfect game uh, with, with, with two innings to go. I tell you, baseball, like, if you just sat down and made a list of things – in order to piss off fans. Like, what can we do? Like, what can we do today to just ruin this experience, this beautiful game for fans? It's like there's someone, like there's people sitting in a room. I would never have even thought that this was even possible. We'll talk about that coming up. <laughs> we'll talk about Joe Biden's approval rating dropping to 33%, which Woof. is pretty amazing. Man. Uh, but let's talk about this past week, Scott. You had a, a great week. Uh, I, I was uh, very, very uh, fortunate to be in the uh, in attendance at the Kentucky Chamber of Commerce uh, Public Affairs Forum that you interviewed uh, the Republican leader of the U.S. Senate, Mitch McConnell. Of course, you've known him for, for a, quite a long time. But what's really remarkable about this conversation, which, by the way, if you just you know, go just one podcast back on a flyover country, you can listen to the mm-hmm. audio of that exchange between Scott and Senator McConnell. Uh, but it was a it was probably the longest interview I've ever heard him do. Yeah, it was. Uh, well, first of all, it was an honor to be asked by the chamber to do it, and it was a great crowd, and and they gave Mitch McConnell a full hour to opine on the news of the day. And I, I was thinking about the the interview. I listened to it again, and man, there's really not a, a top news topic we didn't touch. And there wasn't a top news topic that he wasn't fully ready for, and and had something to say about. And, um, and you know, there's a, he was sharp. He was engaged. He had insights on everything. He made a little bit of news, I thought, on the midterm election idea that the, it's not foreordained, that the Republicans will win the Senate and things can still go wrong. Because I thought he had, can't, some candidates out there might just be too kooky. Absolutely. Uh, I thought some of the stuff he said about Ukraine uh, was pretty newsworthy. He, he said Zelensky basically will dictate what what victory looks like. Right. And the then, college campus stuff, too, that you yeah, yeah, he, that was good. Yeah, at the very end, he, he started to—, to, to worry about free speech climate on college campuses and then his his relationship with biden i asked him about that because you know they've they've had a back and forth here over the last few months it's been quite a roller coaster and he really had some things to say about that and then also what their relationship might look like if the senate uh uh, goes back to republican i mean he's been pretty clear that he's going to moderate uh joe biden who's been pretty progressive but overall he was candid he was funny he was on point i mean he was as sharp as uh, anybody at the at the highest levels of our politics right now, and it it gave me a lot of confidence in what he's doing. It uh, it was illuminating on all these news topics. I've heard from a number of people who were in the crowd that were just, you know, they they could have listened to him for another hour. So I, I didn't. I mean, I picked the topics, and uh, and we 
we just kind of threw him out there. I wasn't trying to create any moments like some of the people that have been interviewing him lately. Yeah, I, think so, it, I think it worked well. Yeah, your your interview as opposed to the Jonathan Swan interview at the Axios event, and you know Swan is a pretty good journalist and a pretty good interviewer, but he did not approach that the right way and got no news out of Mitch McConnell <laughs> last week. Uh, and you, I mean, I've seen several national headlines from stories that that broke as a result of the interview that happened uh, yesterday or whenever it happened. Yeah, I wonder if Swan was looking for some sort of gotcha moment. I mean, he has that famous uh, Twitter moment where he, looking at a piece of paper, reacting to something that former President Trump said. I wonder if he, he caught that bug and he was trying for a viral moment. My my, my impression of people like that, and by, by the way, I think he's a very fine journalist and I enjoy a lot of his content. But, it you know, the content he's trying to create is as much about him as it is about the person he's interviewing. And I approach these things... And I, you know, honestly, Joe, I, you know, I kind of follow your lead a little bit because you were a journalist for many years. You don't try to make it about you. You're trying to, to squeeze as much content out of the person you're interviewing as you can. And that doesn't really leave any room for you to make a scene, you know, and that's that's not why you're there. What is the purpose of going in? If you yeah. truly want to try to get a response, and there are some times, in fact, where people would accuse me, and I was a political journalist in, in Kentucky for a number of years. Uh, there are times they, they thought I might have been too soft on someone. I'm like, well... If I came out of the interview and I have more content than you got, then who actually was successful? Right. And, 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 it, and it begs the question about what is the role of a journalist or an interviewer in this case? And the people who would hate Mitch McConnell or who would hate a Republican in, in this scenario would want any journalist to essentially be argumentative, to fact check them and to basically berate them and tell them they're wrong. That's that's what they want. They don't want that person to be allowed to talk. They want that person to have to sit there and get whipped about the ears and face. And so that's not what I think the purpose of this stuff is, and it's not right. Well, part of it is, too, if I could, as far as my history with, uh, and I've interviewed Mitch McConnell probably 100 times, you know, over the course of 20 years, uh, and and sometimes as part of gaggles, sometimes as part of a one-on-one. And I always thought to myself, this is, you know, I'm, I'm a journalist in a, t- in, a, in a number 50 market, right? I'm, I'm not, this is, this is not one of the coasts. I'm, you know, this is, uh, you know, this is a, a city of what a million people in, in in Louisville. But you, when you have Mitch McConnell coming in, it's it's you're playing in the big leagues, and so I always thought it. First of all, I respected his position and his intellect, and I always thought I had to study ahead. I had to kind of be on my top game because I was in that moment going to have that same opportunity as what a national reporter was going to have. So there were times, I will tell you, and, and understanding where maybe it's worth swan, I'm not saying that I, I shared maybe the agenda or the direction he would have going for, but there were times where, not that I'm trying to do gotcha with Mitch McConnell, but he is so freaking disciplined when it comes to any kind of conversation or interview. Is there something that I can do to get a different response? Mm-hmm. Is there something I can do to be able to have this? Or, and, then, and there, of course, there are times, and, and then I think what most of the people are going to remember about the Swan interview with McConnell is that he asked them the same question maybe four times in a row. And that's just useless because when you do that, what you're signaling is, this is about me, it's not about you. And and you're basically signaling to the interview subject, I am I am intending to go out when this is over with and and create my moment and make this about me. And so for the rest of the interview, 
you know, why would the person you're interviewing engage with you after you have already sent that message? And it would show that they have no idea who they're dealing with. Like I think you said, there's no one with better message discipline than Mitch McConnell. He will give you the same answer. So verbatim. frustrating. There are probably other people who will change their answer halfway through an interview, sure. but definitely not him. I'll tell you something else about when I re-listened to it that that I was reminded of. You know, he often talks about being the only uh, congressional leader not from New York or California. You know, he speaks like he's from the middle of the country. There's no pablum. It's not the normal sort of political speak that you get like when someone's trying to evade something. If he doesn't want to answer it, he just doesn't and says, I'm not going to. I asked him a question um, about, uh, was it the crime question, I think? And he said, well, let me let me reframe your question for you. <laughs> you know, I mean, it. He, he doesn't play the word salad games right. that virtually every other politician plays. And people ask all the time. How does this, you know, what what makes this guy so effective in his own jurisdiction? Kentuckians don't play those games either. People in the middle of the country don't talk like the word salad politicians in the bubble. And he doesn't play that game. And I, I think it's endearing. Last thing I'll say about that is, is that the other thing that Mitch McConnell would do, which reporters weren't used to, is he would tell you exactly what he was going to do when he got back to D.C., and he didn't really vary from it. He actually would make news, and sometimes because if you're a reporter and you're listening for a different soundbite or you're on a different you know, wavelength, you can miss the big story right in front of you because he's telling you, I'm going to lay out the entire path of what I'm going to do when I get back to D.C. If you're paying attention, you actually have a good story. Yeah, I, um, <clears throat> I'll just leave with this. I, I was impressed with him, and um, I also think the interview we did with Lawrence Smith <clears throat> from uh, Kentucky Today – Afterwards, I think that's going to – I heard that went well as well. He, he did quite a bit of content while he was here in the state, and I think what he got out of the state in terms of the things he said during this recess is far more instructive than what he's been doing in Washington lately. And if you want to listen to the whole thing, Jared's uploaded it. It's the As you said, it's the most recent thing in our feed, uh, policy discussion with Mitch McConnell. I highly recommend, if you want to study how he is looking at these current events right now, he was, as you just said, he tells you exactly what he's thinking and how it's going to unfold. And by the way, he's right more often than not. If you go two podcasts back, you'll hear my interview with Scott Jennings. <laughs> yes. One-on-one, -on -one, which I thoroughly enjoyed and I appreciated you. Oh, it was fun. To, letting me indulge myself with uh, the, my conversation with you. Letting you I, indulge yourself? Well, no. But <laughs> <laughs> that is true. That is true. But the uh, the other thing I was going to bring up with that is, um, to your back to your interview with, with, with McConnell, I love the idea that Scott – in front of the entire chamber and whoever else was watching across the, the live feed across the country said, and now to the famous lightning round. I'm like, famous if you're listening to Flyover Country. It is famous. <laughs> I, I well, it's, it. it's famous. It. You know, whenever I interview him, I've done it a few times now, but I always try to do, and, and, I, and, and I've done it with our podcast guests. And I have to tell you, I think you learn more about people in those like rapid fire moments than just about any other time. And, and he had some great answers. You know, the last question was, you're going to the moon, and you can pick one person for the mission. And the and the choices were Chuck Schumer, Bernie Sanders, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, or a random person from the San Francisco phone book. And he immediately, I'll take the San Francisco phone book. <laughs> and then really I heard great. him, the, the mic was still hot when he said, that was a great question, Scott. <laughs> that, was, that was great. That was, really enjoyed it. Scott, also making some news this week. Uh, if you read the Courier-Journal in Louisville, and oftentimes those columns are repeated uh, by the Gannett uh, chain across the country. You published a column this past week that uh, Governor Andy Beshear of Kentucky uh, has kind of cast himself as a nonpartisan, especially during 
tragedies like the Western Kentucky tornadoes and as well as the 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 the, the COVID situation last few years. But you're saying that uh, he made a decision recently that kind of separates him from that uh, that mantle. Yeah, he he like a lot of governors who represent states that aren't of their persuasion. <clears throat> so a, a, a Democrat governor in a red state in this case, or like Larry Hogan and. Charlie Baker, you know, red, Republican governors in blue states, they often try to operationalize their image, meaning I'm not a partisan, I'm not, I'm not an ideologue, I'm just a manager. <clears throat> you know, I don't, <clears throat> I don't engage in these kinds of culture wars, ideological battles. But this week, Governor Bashir decided to uh, issue a several vetoes of bills passed in a bipartisan way by the Kentucky General Assembly that banned transgender athletes in girls' high school and college sports that banned abortions after 15 weeks, and that banned the teaching of critical race theory in our schools. Now, these are the three hottest culture war topics I think we have going on in the country right now. And Bashir could have let them become law without his signature. He could have just ignored it. And they pretended. were all passed with veto-proof majorities. And, and he knew, he knew he was going to be overridden, and he vetoed them anyway. And, uh, and I just interpreted that as someone who has his eye on 2024, candidly. I mean, the national level, the Democrats won't even consider you unless you're, you know, check all those woke boxes. And had he not vetoed them, he wouldn't be viable nationally. So I think he vetoed them for his own ambition. Now, the question I raise, and my piece is really more of an analysis piece, is, is he so arrogant and confident about his own reelection campaign that he feels like he can get away with it? He has carefully cultivated this image of a nonpartisan, a non-ideologue manager. I'm, you know, I'm basically Florence Nightingale here, nursing you through all these tragedies. But I think he totally. And by the way, in our previous governor was Nurse Ratchet. You know, I mean, he's, he's, he's <laughs> Nightingale to Ratchet. And I, and I just, I'm, I just posit the question: Did he miscalculate this? Because whoever his Republican opponent is, and we got a lot of people that are probably going to run. Whoever that person is, now he has handed them the biggest hot-button dividing lines you can have and, uh, and and can make a case that he's really no different than Joe Biden and the National Democratic Party, which is something Kentucky Democrats try to avoid. I'm not them. I'm different. We're different out here. They always say that, and it always catches up with the federal candidates, and they never can get out of that box. Bashir got out of it in 19 because he was running against you know a detestable person. But this time around, this time around, I think he may have really, really wounded himself and and prevented himself from being able to to make the case that he's a different kind of Democrat. Yeah, I think uh, I think it was a big, uh, bad week for him uh, doing that up for his political future. Nate Hockman in the uh, National Review called it a big political mistake. Um, he he's out of touch with where the majority of American voters are on this issue. Sixty two percent of according to a Gallup poll in twenty one said that they agreed with the idea of a bill like this. Um, And he's he's out of step with people in his own party. Uh, You had people in the Democrat Party vote for the legislation. And uh, it 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 just seems wild to me that that that's the that is the only rationale, Scott, is is what you've said. And he didn't even have to wait, wait into it. Uh, you know, he, he could did have, not. They could have just become law without his signature. They're going to become law without his signature because all of his vetoes. I'll tell you were something else. He handed Mike Adams, Kentucky Secretary right. of State Mike Adams, our friend of the pod here, a big win because when the when the governor of Kentucky vetoes a bill and gets overridden, the bill goes down the hall to the secretary of state and he gets to sign it into right. law. And so now Mike uh, Mike gets to sign into law these 
pretty popular bills, and so that that's a big shadow a big governor. Leg up for him. Shadow governor Michael Adams. Yeah. I don't question the polls you you mentioned in terms of the the American people's view on on some of these culture things and, and the and the trans one in particular. Um, my question, and 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 I think as Scott pointed out in his column that it's more than likely that there are even more extreme uh, breakdown of those percentages if you talk about a conservative state like Kentucky. So it's one thing if you ask the question of Kentuckians, how do you feel about this issue? But how important is it? How does this rank? And in other words, it's one thing to say if you ask them that, you know, thin mints versus, you know, whatever, dosy dos But is this going to actually, you know, follow them to the uh, to, to the ballot box in November? I, I'll just say this. The governor said today that we should allow anything that has 60-plus percent approval to become law in the state. <laughs> he did. He said, he said you're he right. Said that. He wait, did wait, say wait, that. Yeah. He I, said I, that. I missed this. He is this, said, is this about the, the gambling thing? Yes. Right. About sports, right. about sports and, betting, and about mobile medical marijuana. Yeah. And he said anything with 60% or more approval should, should be a law in, in Kentucky. And so here's a bill. Here's an idea that the General Assembly just passed that has, I would imagine. 80-20. Yeah. Mark it and you down. know what? And it's so, going to become law in the and it's going to become law in the Com- in Commonwealth of Kentucky over his objections. Over his, over objections. his objections. But I mean, so, back to my question though: How important of an I, issue is this to to rank and file people and fly over country? I'll tell you what. Look, he said in his veto message, well, "This isn't an issue. We don't really have any examples of this in Kentucky. This isn't something we should be dealing with." But we actually do have an example of it. University of Kentucky swimmer Riley Gaines was snubbed at the podium by the NCAA when she tied UPenn swimmer Leah Thomas. So there actually is a Kentuckian affected by it, number one. Number two, if I'm a voter, some of the things you're looking for are values and judgment. Values and judgment. And you're sort of measuring these candidates. Do they basically line up? Do we have similar values, similar enough values? And do they exercise the same judgment that I would? And on this issue, on this issue, overwhelming majority of Kentuckians, he's out of step with their values, and he's certainly out of step with their judgment if they were in his shoes, or if they themselves, you know, were the parent, and many of them are, of a child who was, you know, having to compete against, uh, uh, like Riley Gaines was. And so I, I think, I think when you're trying to make a case about throwing an incumbent out of office, basically, you, you're going to have to get them fired. And this is one of those things that I think could get you fired. Of course, you know, you look at the midterms, which is this year, and we should point out the governor's race is still a year away. You know, the issues right now, I would think, are going to be inflation. What else? Well, I, I think for, for governor of Kentucky in an off year, economy is number one. It's always hot here. Drugs, big deal. But there there are going to be voters who, who want to have a culturally conservative governor. By the way, it wasn't just a trans issue. He vetoed the critical race theory bill and the abortion bill. And so if you if you just... You know, Kentucky's a rural conservative state, and those three issues right there are pretty definitive for most of the state. So it wasn't just one of them. It was all three. And what he did is sent a strong message to most Kentuckians that you are mean, a rube, basically. Like, you're not cosmopolitan enough. You're, you're not modern and enough. And this guy, this guy barely won. Him. This guy barely won. And and that's the thing that I think is really important is that, you know, for, for all other things, K- Kentucky is still a very culturally conservative Republican state. We elected all, a whole slate of Republican constitutional officers. And, and they might not time. be able to they might not be able to admit it in a survey or at a, at a meeting or at a dinner party. But I promise you there are liberal Democrats in Louisville, Kentucky, with kids in high school, with daughters playing on sports teams 
who absolutely think this is baloney. David, uh, is it David Yates is the state senator mm-hmm. uh, from, from Louisville, went to the floor and said he thought that the game had been stolen from Riley Gaines, but he wasn't going to vote for the bill because he's a fiscal conservative and this was going to bring lawsuits on the state. This issue, this issue... Profiling courage. People, people are with the Republicans on this issue. And by the way, when I questioned it, I'm not doubting what you're saying, but I, I truly am wondering as far as where does this rise the level. And if nothing else, I know that uh, folks who in the campaigns will make sure it rises to the yeah. level of awareness. Well, what, what, what matters in campaigns? Well, if you spend $30 million, you can make about anything matter. I mean, I mean that's, a, that's a true story. And what, sure. and what are you trying to do with an incumbent? You're trying to make the case that they should be fired and from I their think it job. And I think it does matter to parents, especially coming out of the pandemic and after everything we saw with schools and this newfound sense of parents being involved in their children's education and parental rights. Rather than the state it, telling it, you what the priorities right. are. Yeah, I mean, and you have, states, state you have states passing laws that say incredible things about like what you can't talk like with the schools can't disclose if a child wants to have different pronouns to the parents. Uh, I mean, th- there's a tidal wave going on on this issue and it, i think it's, it matters to parents and i think you know like it or not and some people don't like when we talk this way but this is true on these kinds of issues right now and especially as it comes to our kids there's a real us versus them out there whose side are you on here whose side are you on and i know where most kentuckians are on this issue on the critical race theory issue on the whole idea of what's going on in our schools and Bashir said i'm on the other side and who else are you associated with when you get on that side and there ain't too many people riding that riding that line in Kentucky. Seems to me when you were talking before about Dave Chappelle and he's someone who basically is is kind of beyond cancelable. Or and, and and the the this situation, if if the wokeness gets so extreme that you allow yourself, you you open the door for people to say that's too much. I think that's what's happening here. Yeah, because at a certain point, people are kind of afraid to say something. But this is so beyond the pale, like, okay, now I can kind of be on the other side of this and going to join that conservative crowd because this is even too much for me. Yeah, and, you know, where Bashir has scored in some polling, and by the way, I, I admit, and I said in my column, I think he has an, I think he's above water on his favorability ratings. He does pretty well with older voters, and he does well with some segment of Republicans who think he did okay on the pandemic and has done okay on the tornadoes. But you think about older Republican-leaning voters, where do you think they are on the transgender uh, athlete issue. Where do you think they are on critical race theory? Where do you think they are on pro-life issues? And so some of these coalition that he's built, and he's worked really hard to cultivate that coalition. He may have washed it away with one week. And, and, and again, my theory is it's out of national ambition. Now, they are the most likely voters you're talking about, but it, I think the argument could be made that the youngest voters are of a different mind on this issue and other cultural issues than the older folks. I don't know, man. I, I look this this. If you listen to Riley Gaines, the swimmer from the University of Kentucky, she has said she's been pretty courageous. I think she speaks for a lot more younger people than you think. Kevin and Sean, you're younger people. <laughs> what do you think? <laughs> yeah, I think that's going to be overplayed. I think a lot of young people may may say they think that, but when you get by yourself in a voting booth, I think you take stock a little differently. Speaking of, of culture wars and, and cancelable uh, situations, Elon Musk mm. making this offer to buy Twitter and t- saying it needs to be transformed. And I'm, I'm assuming that means that he thinks that Twitter has gone too far in, in the cancel wars here. I was just hoping for an edit button. <laughs> <laughs> See, this is again... How many tweets a week do you, th- do you wish you could edit? Oh, so many. Really? 
Okay. Get it right the first time. Sean, <laughs> off the air, before we started, said basically I have the worst takes, maybe maybe second to one. Uh, Whitney uh, Westerfield, yeah. Okay. Okay. <laughs> if you're oh, no, Whitney. Whitney. I'm, Sorry, buddy. I know you're a loyal listener. That was Sean, by the way. Not, <laughs> no, not he us. knows. We he love knows who you. it was. <laughs> I like Whitney Westerfield's takes, which t- says a lot about you. <laughs> it, it does. It does. I, I like his drone footage. I am I, very, very good videos. I, I am opposed to edit buttons on Twitter. Why? Because Written in stone. Because once you, first of all, you can always delete it if you said the wrong thing. I'm not really interested in your opinions on social media. You just added me as a Facebook friend tonight. <laughs> And I sent the request in 2015. <laughs> I didn't realize. He, he studies these things. He's discerning. How, how long did you have to let that marinate? Over the... I, I didn't know where that tab was. <laughs> yeah. I, yeah, we... I really, yeah. It's really... And I'm like, oh, look at all these people over here. And they, there were some college friends that were on there. I'm sure. So I had to like... See, for the last several years, I've been telling him to, which tab to click on. He thought I meant the drink. He was in his refrigerator. <laughs> <laughs> no, but as far as the... Looking editing, for a tab free. <laughs> Are you okay, Jerry? <laughs> okay, I'm the, I'm, the, I'm the geriatric one here. But, uh, the, uh, but, the, but the edit button. See, I think once you say it, and then if, if people tweet it, if they share it, if they like it, then you shouldn't be able to go in later on and, and edit it, and then all of a sudden I've liked or retweeted something that I would, wouldn't want to do that. Just say what you're going to say. Be careful. Look at it twice before you you know, click send and go from there. I'll admit I subscribe to the Twitter Blue thing for the sole purpose of getting the feature that when you hit send on the tweet, it actually waits 60 seconds. <laughs> and, it, and it has a little oh. countdown thing. And so it, it actually sort of... Acts as a moderating or t- type of edit button for me. So I, I, on many occasions, I have you pay for a little bit of self discipline. Yeah, I've written a tweet. You know what though? That's a, this would be a good show. All like We're doing coaching that. in life, whether it's diet or exercise, that all you're ever paying for is accountability. That's all you're ever paying for. Because you anybody can go on the internet and figure out how to do all this stuff. You're just paying for accountability. Except but on, Joe. Joe but can't the, find his friend. <laughs> Oh, you should see the look on his face. It's amazing. But in this case, I hit send, and then a little clock comes on, and I have 60 seconds. And you can set it for varying time intervals. And on many occasions, I'm like, oh, shoot, i got a typo in this. And I hit undo, and I fix it, and I feel good about myself. So I see the, the utility. So you're, you're part of the elite blue checkers. Yeah. You know? So you have yes. that kind of those special, how I communicate. special privileges. No, no, I pay a dollar ninety nine. This for is it. a service that you can subscribe. Any oh, Twitter that right? user. Oh, I thought it was because of I would. I would pay. I mean, I'm paying a dollar ninety nine per month to to not be seen as an idiot who can't write without typos. <laughs> I mean, I just I don't want to be known as someone who writes in typos. That's basically why I did it. So Elon Musk <laughs> <laughs> taking over, or at least trying to put the bit out there. What what does this say about uh, where we are right now? Because of the the left in this situation, they're they're losing their minds. Oh and man! They're basically saying this could be the end of democracy as it, we know. It means it. he's the person having the most fun in the country right now. Well, you had the best point, Joe. When we were we were pre- prepping for the show, I love I love this whole preface. Go ahead. I mean, you. I mean, we were talking about why the meltdown was occurring, and you said it. What did I say? <laughs> you said you I'm said still, I'm still reeling you said, from Sean. Dude, you said the meltdown is this. They're afraid someone's going to show up oh. and put Donald Trump back on Twitter. Well, that is absolutely right. right. The other thing is is that I mean, bet, period. I mean that, and but it, but but think about what that's emblematic of. Right. The reason they're having a meltdown is they have created in these tech companies extensions of the Democratic Party, extensions of the progressive left, extensions of their ideology and not just extensions but weapons these things are weaponized 
to promote their ideology and to defeat and to punish and to bludgeon anyone who stands up against them. And they also exist to mute information that would call into question their worldview. And if Elon Musk, a defender of free speech, shows up and blows that up, they're basically admitting what we've all been saying. These things are nothing more than extensions of the left. They all dispute that. Then why are you having a meltdown? Why are you having a meltdown today if you're worried about someone coming along and upsetting your stupid apple cart? Well, the the argument against free speech is that you can't trust the American people to think for themselves. And as a result, you need an arbiter. You need someone else to step in there and say, because you don't know what's best for yourself, because you don't know how to divine between truth and and, and fiction, and, and because... You are so susceptible. But they can't to even do that. They can't even do that. They took the New York Post down for Hunter Biden's laptop. Right. I mean, yeah. they, they can't even do that. Because what it is is that you, we all have a certain sense of what we think sounds right. There's all kinds of journalistic uh, whole uh, you know studies that have been done on this. This is the reason why some stories, articles uh, are able to be broadcast is because well, it sounds about right. It sounds that sounds to me like that that could happen. We're, we're going to let that story go. This was this was the underpinning of all coverage of Donald Trump. This right. sounds like something he'd do. Right. And I have a source who says this sounds like something he'd do. So let's run with it. Right. Because it sounds consistent with those things. Now, if you said about somebody I like, and that doesn't sound quite sound right to me, so it's, I'm going to have that alt, that that filter is going to go in there. Yeah. So that's this is the this is the, the kind of bearing the truth of, of, of the harsh truth of all this. I mean the the, it, it, the the arbiters that you speak of here, if their track record was better, maybe they would have an argument. But as Sean points out, the track record of these people on the information they choose to mute and the people they choose to ban, all these things all flow one way, and many of these things bear out bear out that they were wrong. The New York Post banning, you know, this whole idea that it was Russian disinformation on Hunter Biden's laptop, totally false. The Wuhan lab uh, coronavirus leak theory, they were, they were literally, if you mention this, kicking you off of social media. Turns out, sounds like it's a credible thing. Their track record is atrocious. Twitter, just like every other public forum, the cure to bad speech or speech you don't like is just more speech. Yes, Preach, preach, brother Kevin. (laughs) Instead of taking Donald Trump off, instead of taking all these people you don't like off, Twitter could be a great equalizer where Sean can tweet back at people he doesn't like. Like Joe Arnold. (laughs) (laughs) His friend. My friend. My new friend. And you're talking about the marketplace of ideas too, right? In other words, you get enough, enough out there. And by the way, Dave Chappelle and his show... Exactly used that phrase. That phrase. That really? Marketplace of and the crowd really? erupted. Really? He used that phrase. The crowd cheered. It was great. Is that Jeremy Bentham, Adam Smith? Who who's who's coined? It's actually Supreme Court Justice. Was it really? Okay. I did I, 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 I was trying to remember who it was that actually coined it in the first place. Kevin's our Supreme Court Justice trivia master. <laughs> we'll we'll do a fact check on this and uh, <laughs> exactly put it in the show notes. If only we were all carrying devices. But let me ask you a question though about and this this, this does have to do with the way that the coast sea flyover country that we're all QAnon that we're all uh, subject to insurrectionist Twitter yeah. and other social media platforms. So the argument that that folks are making today about why Twitter needs to keep the same filters and controls is January sixth is that if, in fact, you allowed people to have access to this kind of a, a tool, 
they can they can use this uh, you know to to spread information and misinformation and and gin up that kind of a situation. Yeah, I mean they don't they don't think we can't let these knuckle draggers talk to each other because when they organize. They do things we don't like. I mean, that's basically their view. Right. And and so, is there any? But is there any? It's 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 offensive. But at the same time, January sixth happened. Yeah, but it didn't happen because of social media. It didn't happen on Twitter. It doesn't happen because of free speech, and it doesn't happen because people talk to each other and exchange ideas. It happened because a bunch of idiots did stupid stuff. That's absolutely true. But it didn't happen because of free speech. And when you go around blaming all the things you don't like on free speech. That's a problem. That's a problem for me, and it's a problem for America. I hate it. Anyone else? Going once. Going once. Everybody's looking at, is there, is there like a tornado? What are you all looking at? Oliver Wendell Holmes. <laughs> <laughs> okay, you were fact-checking Sean. We, in the marketplace of ideas. Everyone, Joe and I are sitting here doing the show, and everyone's like looking at their phone like somebody just, you know. Golly. Do you know who uh, coined the phrase "hindsight is twenty twenty? You did. I did. Uh, yeah. That's, that's a whole other story. That's yeah. still got an asterisk next to it. Jared, Jared said he fact-checked me on that. <laughs> All right. Let's move on to some politics and talk about Flower Country's take on some things going on right now. Uh, first of all, the president's approval rating. Oh, boy. And oh, whoa, 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 whoa. We got whoa. a sound for that. Jared, cue it up. The president's oh. approval rating this week. You got to do something. Give me something. I'm, I'm sorry. If you have to Show wait. me something. If you're waiting 20. <laughs> oh! <laughs> it was worth the wait. You know it, it was. was. It was. <laughs> Terrible radio. <laughs> Terrible radio. All right. 33%. What? <laughs> that, was, that was better. All right. 33. Is this is this believable? Yeah. Well, yes. I mean... Uh, Quinnipiac is a is a good pollster, uh, a lot of credibility. I mean, at thirty three percent, I mean you're basically down to. Your, <laughs> I mean, I mean you're down to the people who wear three masks and a few, you know, Hunter Biden art collectors. I mean, that's about what he's down to at this point. And uh, and I mean the implications for his presidency are, are one thing. The implications in the midterms for the Democratic Party. I mean, this puts Senate races on the board like Washington State, Colorado, Vermont that you wouldn't have dreamed of a year ago. There are House Democrats right now who have no idea they're going to lose in November. They have no idea they're even in a race right now, but Joe Biden's going to suck them under. I promise you, there are House Democrats sitting here tonight thinking, well, I know it's bad, but my district's real good. Let me tell you something. If I were sitting in an R, uh, a D plus 15 or worse right now, I'd be fretting about this number. It's it's very believable. And why? Because of inflation and because of the incompetence and because of the absolute stupidity coming out of the White House and the arguments. They think we're stupid. It's Putin's price hike. It's Vladimir Putin. It's Putin's price. Nobody believes this. They're depending on... I mean, they're as stupid as they think you are. I mean, that's basically what they... That's their strategy. That's their strategy. And it's not going to work it's not going to work, and these Democrats who are having a run under the yoke of Joe Biden's stupidity here, man, are they going to suffer this fall. And it's not just some far-off problem that they can think of, not think about. Every family in America is feeling this. Oh. Every time you go to the gas tank, every time you go to the grocery store, if you can find anything when it's there, we're all feeling it, and we're going to keep feeling it. Yeah, I've seen a lot of surveys on of Democrats, Republicans. I've seen a lot of congressional surveys in the last few days. I mean, it doesn't matter who you are. Democrat, Republican, rich, poor, right. middle class, blue collar, white collar, white, black, Hispanic. Every single person to a person is saying, this is having a major impact on my life. And nobody, look at Joe Biden's approval ratings inside the poll on this topic. 
Not a single person is buying what they're selling, and nobody thinks he's doing anything about it. And in fact, they think they're making it worse. And all the while, the White House press office is out there tweeting these charts and graphs they've come up with, where he's created more jobs than any president in modern history. It's like they don't even know what we're talking about. We're they speaking just, in different languages. They just need more TikTok stars. That's they they need more influencers. So you you uh, teach a class at Harvard University, yes. the Kennedy School of Politics, You with Robbie Luke, the yeah. former Hillary Clinton uh, ca- campaign manager. You're, so you're suddenly assigned, maybe it's an assignment for your class, that you have to counsel a D plus, a Democrat plus 15 right now. What are you doing? What are you saying to that candidate? What, what, what should they be doing right now? I mean, every jurisdiction is different, but I'll tell you something right now. If you're not talking about inflation and what you plan to do about it, and by the way, if you're not talking about immigration, we haven't talked about it, that issue is hot right now on the right, but it's hot everywhere because... I think there's a real sense that this chaos at the border is about to get worse and that it's Joe Biden's fault. The anxiety in the country over inflation and just the idea that things are spinning out of control under a guy who told us, I'm going to calm everything down. So if I were a Democrat, I would be, first of all, I wouldn't be towing the talking point line coming out of the White House. That's number one. I'd be charting my own course. And if that means uh, on some occasions saying, man, I'm going to call the president and let him know. He's screwing up. you got to do it. You you cannot be sucked on. I mean, I'll, t- I'll give you an example of this. Senator Hassan of New Hampshire this week puts out a statement on immigration. Let me just paraphrase it. Build the wall. I mean, she <laughs> said her that, that Biden wasn't doing enough and that, I mean, it was a lot of, it was a lot of word salad. Physical barriers. She said build the wall. I mean, they, they're yeah. running on build the wall in New Hampshire, which... I mean, I'm not like a total geography expert, but it ain't anywhere near Mexico. But you can see how this issue is like is like Jared's fact checking. Fact that check. One. You can see how this Oliver issue Wendell is Holmes. reaching into races all over the country, and there. I mean, Joe Biden ain't talking about building the wall. He's talking about ending Title 42, which is gonna make it worse. These Democrats, man alive, are they in trouble with this guy? So is Biden, is he toxic now? I mean, how, what do you describe Biden? I mean, no Democrat is afraid of him. In the Senate, how many things have they taken down just in the last week? They're, uh, or the week or two, they've taken down his nominees. They've had to pull stuff off the floor because they know half of, uh, there's at least a half dozen uh, Democrats are going to go vote against him. I think he's politically toxic, like the Britney Spears song. <laughs> so... <laughs> <laughs> I'm not, I'm not familiar with that, as you know. So uh, songs are are words that are put to music. Oh, you you're not familiar with Britney Spears? I see. <laughs> I don't know the song. So how demonstrable are they going to be separating themselves from Joe Biden in campaigns for this fall? I lived through a cycle like this once in the White House when I worked for George W. Bush in 2006. We had a really rough ride, and there were only a few places he was able to campaign. By the time it was over with, we campaigned for uh, Sonny Perdue in Georgia. I remember that one. But it uh, that was about it, and uh, uh, we there weren't many places where he was able to go where the candidates on the ground wanted to appear with him, and this is going to break Biden's heart. I mean, I I know I've I've been through it. It it breaks a president's heart when they're not able to go campaign because it, they're this is what they do. This is I mean, Joe Biden's been campaigning his whole life, and his political affairs staff, like I once had to do, is going to have to come down the hall every day and say, "Here's a status report on the races," and. Here's a much shorter list of places where you can go. Now there will be places he can campaign. I mean, I don't, I don't doubt that. You know, if if the Senate race in Vermont or Washington State gets hot, which you heard it here first, or sleeper races, he, he'd be useful in in some ways. Which there. ones again? Vermont and Washington State. Right. Republicans have phenomenal candidates in those states. 
And those incumbents are sleepy. I mean, they're sleepy states. I mean, it's, Vermont's open. And uh, Washington State, Patty Murray, I mean, it's a sleepy kind of incumbent. But there'll be some utility for him there in the bluest places. But think about that. In a midterm where you can only send the president to the absolute bluest of <laughs> blue Bernie enclaves. Sanders' hometown. Yeah. I mean, think about think about that, how, how sort of uh, neutered uh, he is as a political force. Isn't he still, however, a... Uh effective fundraiser absolutely and- presidents and vice presidents uh you know that they will be able to rake it but look money is not an issue in politics right now i mean look at the last couple of cycles right. democrats have all the money these losing these idiot losing senate candidates they had and and all these races later and they all ended the, the their races with millions of dollars they have they have more money they can spend so money's not an issue their problem right now is message, and their problem is circumstances, and their problem is a viewpoint that Joe Biden has let this whole country get away from him. I've had more people in the last 14 days tell me they've never seen the country in such worse shape as they've seen it right now. That is a sentiment that is growing, and I tell you, heavy is the head that wears the crown. When you're the president, you own it all. The last two things we talked about kind of melding in, in one uh, issue that uh, kind of raised its head today, I saw a news release from... Uh, Leader McConnell's office about the Biden administration announcing they'll cancel their Title 42 pandemic authority. And as far as letting immigrants stay in the country, at the same time, they're extending the domestic public health emergency that affects Americans for at least another 90 days. This is the mask mandate that's going to be, Scott, your your favorite. (laughs) I'm uh, at least another 15 days. Somebody give me a brown paper bag. (laughs) I am like... So, but it, it, it is, it is. By the way, I feel to, like they to, extended it specifically to get through the end of my Harvard semester. I got to go to Boston twice more and teach this class. And I feel like they put it in just long enough to cover every it's just single two flight. Weeks, Scott. It's just two, two weeks. Two weeks to, weeks to slow the spread. The spread. <laughs> so flatten the curve. That's where we are. I mean, it's. it's but uh, isn't it something, though, that this this is. It drives people crazy. And and, and the ju- the juxtaposition here of these two things, though, as far yeah. as the attitude toward, toward immigrants is. Illegal yeah. immigrants Illimit- is one thing. Yeah. And toward. Uh, it's just like Domestic. one of those. It's one of those things that I think a lot of people look at and like that just doesn't seem right. It doesn't it, seem. It right. just doesn't seem right. And I think that this election is going to be a lot of people who go to the ballot box and they're like, things just don't seem right, mm-hmm. and they vote Republican. I tell you, you've been to an airport lately. They are full. The flights are full. People are anxious to get out, and people traveling with their kids and their families, and they haven't traveled in a while, and you know it's stressful anyway to go to the airport, let alone trying to keep these masks on and being threatened. At the at the gate, every time you step up there, if your mask slips off, we're going to ban you from flying ever again. I mean, it is a stressful environment, and Joe Biden is making it is is extending. Just, people of America, the President of the United States, wants you to be as stressed and anxious and miserable at America's airports and train stations as possible. That is the bottom line, and that's how people are going to see it. Kevin uh, Grout is here this week again with Kevin's Quiz. I'm curious about what you got lined up for us, Mr. Grout. Grab your Cracker Jacks. We're celebrating opening day today. All right. Opening day. I love it. So I have four questions for you uh, about presidential baseball history. Oh, okay. I would think there would be some enjoyment here. Number one, this president, who I – Get off are your you laptop. Google, are you doing a no, Google? No, you can't turn you on your laptop you and answer the question. Shut your uh, laptop. He's just I, on Facebook. It's fine. <laughs> I was accepting Jared's. <laughs> Go ahead. This president, likely a fan of the Cincinnati Redlegs, was the first sitting president to throw out a ceremonial f- first pitch. William Howard Taft. Correct. That is correct, yeah. That's a good one. 
Uh, for all of you radio, bro, you gotta you gotta pot that down more <laughs> exactly. slowly. I mean, it's terrible. It's that was radio. the worst. <laughs> this Jesus. is actually this is, this is so amateur. <laughs> it's terrible. For all you radio fans, uh, in the 1930s, yes. this future president could be Ronald Reagan. Ronald Reagan. WHO Radio. <laughs> Come Des Moines, on, Des Moines, right. Iowa. Iowa. This yeah. is. Yeah. <laughs> hey, by the way, you can go on the internet and listen to Ronald Reagan calling baseball games it, it's yeah. pretty fascinating he tells a great story about of course this was over the, this is over the teletype yeah you, know, you get it and so there'd be sound effects and things you would use and at one point you know the teletype went down yes and so he had to improvise and it was the longest series of foul balls <laughs> yeah and as it turned out like the guy had fl- i think flown out on the first pitch yeah 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 but he had so so the, the printer had stopped working and he was literally just fabricating <laughs> fabricating the plays it was that's a great great old story man and then he said, we begin bombing in five minutes. <laughs> no, that, that, was, that was a whole different microphone. <laughs> All, right. All right. All right. I hope the next one's harder. Joe's killing you. I'm working on it. Number three, uh, while becoming the first president to ever attend the dedication of a new stadium, mm. this chief executive is said to have quipped, quote, we cheer for the senators, we pray for the senators, and we hope the Supreme Court does not declare that unconstitutional. Senators. So that's got to be way back. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say Harry S. Truman. No. No. Okay. Mm. Lyndon Johnson. Lyndon B. Johnson. Oh, look at the J train coming through here. And the Washington Senators became what team? Washington Nationals. No. Montreal. Uh, Well, yeah. They they were the Nationals for a time. The Washington Senators became the Minnesota Twins. Oh, they were called the Nationals for at least two seasons while they were the Senators. Is that right? That is right. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. Well, how how did the, so did the Expos were just a new team? The Expos were a new team. And, then that, and, then, that, and then that became the Nationals. And that was a strange kind of a, a, a circuitous route, even through Florida a little bit with the owners switching and this kind of stuff. Yeah, but yeah. Yeah, Expos, okay. Yeah. So the Senators became the Twins. The Senators became the Twins. Harmon Killebrew had to move with the, the – uh, by the way, this is before my lifetime, but at the same time it happened. <laughs> uh, moved from Washington to Minnesota. He was he was one of the great young starters yeah. there with the Senators. Originally. All right, what's the last question? All right, this is a question for the, the St. Louis baseball fans. All right. Ooh. Although this president claimed that his wife was the real baseball fan in the family, uh, he attended the 1944 World Series between the St. Louis Cardinals and, and the Browns. St. Louis Browns. Yeah. And he later became the first to throw a presidential left-handed first pitch. Wow. Yeah. Left-handed. He Ken- attended the 44 Series. Was that Kennedy? No. I'm going to say Hoover. No. No. Richard Nixon? He was still alive. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, obviously, during the in '44 would have been FDR, but it Jimmy wasn't Carter? No, he was campaigning in '44. Oh, he was campaigning. Okay, okay, for president? No, no, for was... vice president. Oh my gosh, what is happening right now? He was also ambidextrous and threw out some first pitches with his right hand. Wow, we have a studio audience today. Anybody in the peanut gallery know? Nixon. Yeah. I said no, Nixon. not Nixon. That's what I said. I said, I, said, I said Truman before. Is it Truman? It's Truman. Okay. All right. I, I think I can't cancel that out of my head. Harry S. Truman. Harry S. Truman. Yeah. And he course, was ambidextrous. He could throw a baseball could throw with a both baseball hands. Throw a baseball with both hands. And, and it actually made it was sense. His hometown a, team because well, he's from Missouri. Not hometown, but home home state. Home state team. But he would have said Missouri. You're right. Yeah. 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 I've, I've been to. I was up at his house in Independence with the Boy Scouts. We went through, and one of and, and Gary Dangler, one of our Boy Scouts, rang the doorbell, Wait. which was bad. What's that? <laughs> Gary Dangler. <laughs> Gary Dangler. Great. Rang, rang the doorbell. <laughs> what are you doing? By the way, this game, 
I feel like you you ruined Kevin's game because you kept you wouldn't let him finish the questions, and you got to act like a know it all. And now you're talking about Gary Dangle, and Kevin puts a lot of work into these games. Put a lot of work in this game, and, and I, I just don't even. Too. I want I mean, a little credit for stumping. I mean, honestly, we, never mind. Okay, go ahead. It's your show. No, that's it. No, no. I'm just saying. Oh, Gary, Gary Dangler. <laughs> Is he still with us? Yes. We need to send him this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> he lived four doors down from me on Westbury Drive in Belleville, Illinois. Anyway, we were on a trip to Independence, Missouri. He rang the doorbell of the house where Harry S. Truman lived, but Bess was still alive, and, and the Secret Service answered saying, like, get away. <laughs> that was that was my story from Independence, Missouri. Wow. There you go. Last doorbell Gary Dangler ever rang. <laughs> please, please tell me you have one more question. Nope, that's no, it. That, okay. that, that no. is how we're no, ending you ruined Kevin's quiz. I ruined it? <laughs> I just think you... Speaking of ruining things, <laughs> Dave Roberts of Los Angeles Dodgers, oh. speaking of baseball, pulled Clayton Kershaw from a perfect game. He had thrown 80 pitches. But the good news is, as we know with the whole designated hitter coming to baseball, we need to protect pitchers. We need to protect pitchers, and they can't be injured. So it was probably a good that, we, that Clayton came out of the game because we have to be very careful. Next week we're taking Joe to a diamond. He's throwing 81 pitches. That'd be it, fine. This was a crazy thing. I mean, seven perfect innings, 13 strikeouts. He was cruising. And there's only one, but 23 perfect games in Major League Baseball history. I mean, it's to take him out. I mean, imagine if you were a fan sitting in that stadium. Boy, how pissed off would you be? Lord have mercy. What are you doing? I was stop checking your Facebook friend. I know you just figured <laughs> out how to you're no, no host one, a show. No one listening to the podcast needs to know that I opened up my laptop. They can from. hear you <laughs> typing. I can assure you after your Gary Dangler story, no one listening to the podcast. You could have just stopped there. <laughs> Time for seeing red herd. Anything you're seeing, reading, or hearing. Kevin. Yeah, in uh, preparation for Easter, I'm reading uh, Ross Duthat's Bad Religion, How We Became a Nation of Heretics. Oh, man. I'm listening to it. Sean? Uh, at, right, let me turn the, the machine on to do this podcast. Uh, Eric Erickson just retweeted a poll from the Georgia governor's race in uh, the primary, showing Brian Kemp with 52%. That's a, that's a clear win. He won't have to face a runoff, right? Right. Yeah. So That'd be a huge slap in I the saw, face to Donald that's, Trump. That's my scene. In the last uh, Good call out. two attempts, I was trying to to Google uh, the book that I had just finished reading last week. I couldn't think of the name of it, but Malcolm Gladwell in a very interesting book about World War II and the the, the bombing of Tokyo, and it reminded me a lot of the of what was going on right now. So from the the obliteration and the the morale, you know, attempting to sap the morale of the Ukrainians by Vladimir Putin. Anyway, I can't I don't know what the name of the book is because I've been shamed into closing my laptop, but it was a really good book. Mine is, I've seen most of the country in the last week. So spring break was last week, and I flew with three of my four children from Louisville to Boston, where we did a number of things. And then we flew all the way to San Diego, where we did a number of things. And so I'd just like to say a few things about the things I saw. Number one, the people that run the Boston Tea Party installation in Boston, where you get to throw tea in the harbor, fantastic. Kids loved it. In San Diego, the people running the San Diego Zoo, fantastic. Kids loved it. Legoland. Terrific. Uh, uh, we we saw the Freedom Trail. Uh, I, I got in. We saw a lot of stuff, and uh, and I just have to say, I how much a, of the Freedom Trail did you walk? It's a long way if you did the whole thing. We did not walk all the way out to Bunker Hill, but we did do the downtown piece. the The next day, we went to Faneuil Hall because it was open that day, and then we took a water taxi out to the USS Constitution, which the captain is a Kentuckian. 
a Western Kentuckian. Female, right? Yep. First female. In, they've had 77 uh, uh, leaders of that boat, uh, which dates all the way back to the what, War of 1812. And, uh, and anyway, great. The whole thing was great. So I seen a lot of things. And I had a really good spring break with the boys, and we saw a lot of cool stuff. And I was reminded anew, America's a great place, and you ought to get out and experience it. Thanks for joining us this week. And on that happy note, where we're all in agreement of our great nation. Gary Dangler, thank you for listening. And thank you for being a loyal part of the <laughs> And shout out real quick here. Congratulations to Britney Spears on her pregnancy. <laughs> Fly over country with Scott Jennings. Flyover Country with Scott Jennings is a production of Bluegrass Media Lab, coming to you from the heart of Middle America, Louisville, Kentucky. If you like what you heard, subscribe to Flyover Country on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you find your favorite podcast. Mm-hmm.